Well, good morning, Olive Branch. It's great to see you guys. And for those of you uh, dads out there who are wearing your hero shirt, we're glad that you're doing that. I, I've seen King's shirts. Hey, how about those Kings, man? That was awesome. Yeah. Seen, uh, seen some Dodgers jerseys, some Angels jerseys, seen some, uh, some people wearing some fireman shirt and some lifeguard shirts. But guys, come on. You all know who the real hero is here. Come on. Right? Jesus. Come on. No, I'm just kidding. No, this is my Jesus juke for you all, just to make you feel guilty. You should be wearing Jesus is my hero t-shirts, right? No, I'm just kidding. The point is simply that uh, we're excited that you dads are our heroes. Um, my dad's one of my heroes, and all of us together have um, dads who are our heroes. Would you just thank your dad that you, that you love right now, and just praise God for them and say thank you right now where you're at. Thank you, dads. Thank all your dads today. I hope you have a great time with them. Uh, we are working in a series here called Spiritual Security. What's, uh, what's fascinating to me is, as a dad, how much difficulties and troubles we can find ourselves landing in. Um, uh, for, for us right now, we've been, in my family, we're, we're prepping to move. We're putting stuff in boxes, moving houses and stuff. And one of the difficulties and all the mess of that is my kids are sitting around pulling on our shirts and running into the room and going, I'm bored. I need to do this. Can I do this? I want to do that. Can I drink that? Can I eat that? We're just, and we're trying to figure out where things go and get the schedule set. And you know how that is when you're trying to move and just the stress that's involved. And so we're like, what do we do with these kids? What do we do with these kids? So we, we, we got a nanny. His name is Netflix. He's really, really good. Um, no, actually, yeah, we wind up putting the kids down watching TV. And I'll be honest, we feel so guilty. Like, we just feel like we are the worst parents on earth. We can't figure out how to help and get our kids to help us out. And we're just like, why are we doing so bad? And honestly, it feels like we're wasting our parenting. We're wasting our opportunities as parents. You ever been there where you feel like you're just wasting an opportunity? You've trained them, you taught them, or you, or you missed out on this, or you're too busy at work for that, or you, you showed up late to something, an award ceremony that you thought, was pointless, but your kid thought was amazing. You know, all these chances we have as parents, and we can miss them. In fact, this idea of wasting our time and wasting life and wasting stuff can be pretty deep-seated. Uh, as an American, uh, we can have a tendency to be so busy because we don't want to waste our time. We don't want to waste our lives. And yet some of you are in a very place where you feel like your life has been a bit of a waste. Where you feel like when you look at things in your past, you'll look at the messes and the mistakes and the stuff, and you look at where your life is right now and what you're holding and what you're doing, you're kind of going, that's not where I thought I would be. That's not what I thought I would accomplish. And I have totally wasted this time I have because you've been in front of Netflix too long or whatever. But we can find ourselves in this sense of, of this waste. And if you're a brand new Christian, some of you might even be feeling like, hey, you know, my past it just feels like this big waste. I spent all this time doing all these other things when I could have been doing things for God. I could have been making a difference in this world. I could have been moving things forward in a different direction. And I just feel like it's wasted. And, and to be honest, this is not an American sensation. This is a reality that's been around for thousands of years since the beginning of time. Since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, human beings have felt like our lives are in many ways a waste. It's no wonder that atheism and its concept of just embrace the, just embrace the waste is how I like to think about it. Just embrace the fact your life's a waste and do whatever you want with it. It's on the rise because it seems to resonate with the soul that it feels like, you know what, this life is a big waste of time. I'm wasting my time. 
Paul resonated with this thought. Uh, Paul was, a, was um, originally named Saul. He becomes the apostle who plants churches in the book of Acts all over the place. And this man even writes about his past. He'd given decades of his life away to studying the, the Jewish law, memorizing the entire books of the law, making sure that he was living up to it, living a, a laws outside of the laws, fulfilling his oaths and his vows to God day in and day out, even to the point where he was so zealous, he's persecuting and killing Christians because he thought they were wrong. And this man wakes, comes to this point where Jesus knocks him off his horse, reveals himself to him, and he has to give his life to Christ because there's just nothing else for him to do. And in all honesty, he looks back at his life, he says, all these accomplishments, all this stuff, I consider waste. I consider it all, and just, just waste. But it doesn't say wasted. And he has a perspective on it that's interesting. He has a perspective that he's going to share with us about this concept of waste. And it's found in the book of Romans. And so grab your Bible, all of us who, who may be struggling with waste or not struggling with it. Let's look at this because it's an important idea. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse uh, 28, and we're going to go through 30. So grab a Bible. If you don't have one, you can, there are Bibles under the, under the seats in front of you or under you. And that's on page 944 if you'd like to join with us. What we're looking at this morning is this concept of what is this waste? Paul, um, Paul has written uh, this letter that we're looking at, the book of Romans, to the church in Rome. He's an evangelist and he's trying to go to Spain. He wants to get support from the church in Rome. And so he's telling, writing down his gospel so that as he preaches it, so the people know what he's up to. And so he's come to this point now. Where he's talked about all the security, that the Spirit of God, the presence of God gives us security against our sin. It gives us security to know that we're part of the family of God, that we're adopted. It gives us security through our difficulties because he gives us a great future, as Buzz kind of informed us about last week. And now we dive into this last phrase. He says, or this next phrase, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What, what I love about these verses is the simple reality that when we think of a life and we think of all the stuff, all the time we could have wasted, all the things that could have gone on, the bottom line is God wastes nothing in the Christian life. God wastes nothing in the life of a Christian. In you, if you are a Christian in this room this morning, you have the guarantee that God will not allow a single thing in your life to go to waste at all. That in fact, what he says is very clear. He says, we know that for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose, that's what we would call a Christian, a Christ follower. Uh, these, what we know that one thing is true. That all things work together for good. Or that God works all things together for the good. Or that God works in all things to the good. There's different ways of, of rephrasing this. But that God is actually taking everything in our lives and moving it to the good. This is amazing. Because what it's telling me about God is that God is a perfect planner. This guy plans perfectly about everything. And it's important that we realize that God is the perfect planner. I'm not a perfect planner. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had decided that we were going to go check out another church and because, um, you know, we like doing that. We're on vacation, not going anywhere, you know, just checking out another church, see what they're doing. And um, 
So we had to get out of the house at a specific time. We're like, oh, we got to get the kids ready at this time. We got to make sure this, this. And so I'm all, I get all like crazy because I'm like, we're going to be at church on time. I'm a pastor. We don't be late to church, you know, kind of, kind of reality. And so I'm yelling and screaming. I'm going cuckoo and nuts and trying to get, wasting my time, wasting my parenting skills and, and trying to get my kids out the door. And my kids, inevitably, we're all, we're going to, we're going to be fine. But inevitably, we're always going to be late, it seems, because I got four kids, when you have four kids, it doesn't matter. You get them dressed right. You get them to the door, and they're about to go out, and they go, I got to go to the bathroom. <sighs> Two hours later, they come out of the bathroom, and you're ready to go. Is, or, they, or one of them decides, I don't want to go, and they disappear, and they're laying on their bed, hiding, giggling, because you're trying to find them. It doesn't matter what you do. When we're trying to get somewhere, we can't plan for all the crazy contingencies that occur. And so it causes me stress, and it gets me angry, because somehow I'm going to motivate them to do it on my time schedule. God doesn't do any of that. God is the perfect planner. He knew all the mistakes. He knew which kid was going to use the bathroom, when they were going to use it, which kid was going to run upstairs. And so he's just already planned for it. It doesn't surprise him when it happens. You're alive. You're not walking along and suddenly he's looking at you going, oh yeah, you're doing good. You're doing, what am I going to do? He just made a mistake. I've never seen this mistake before. No human in the history of, of everything has ever done this before. What do I do? What do I do? And he goes off to a whiteboard and starts experimenting. No. It's not shocking to him our messes. It's not shocking to him our mistakes. He's perfectly planned everything. He's gone, okay, I got that. And what's beautiful about this is to realize one simple thing, that God's plan for your sins, God's plan for your mistakes, God's plan for the suffering you're going through, for the divorce you're facing, for the bankruptcy that you're, you're struggling and scared of. For the, for the trial and the struggle and the mess of life, He's already planned in. He's also planned in the successes. Some of us get successful and we get scared. Is this going to corrupt my Christianity? Is this going to mess me up? And he's knowing I've got, I've got those planned in too. I got it planned in. He's the perfect planner. And you know what's beautiful about this? Because oftentimes pastors will preach this and they'll say that and they'll say, so stop worrying about your messes. Be confident. God's got you. Da, da, da. You know, don't, don't feel like, no, no. It's beautiful is the fact that this doesn't minimize the pain and the suffering that you're literally going through. That your hard times are really hard times. That your good times are really good times. And that the pain and the struggle that you feel, God already planned for those as well. That right now you may be going through a horrible situation in your life with your friends or your family. And you may feel sick to your stomach and you may be praying your guts out, but God planned for those and it doesn't surprise them and they're not going to waste none of it not a single emotion not a single joy or victory all of it is going to be used if you're a Christian and so what's beautiful about this is that everything works to this good look at it again look down at that verse and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good not for your comfort no no note that the good is not, hey, I feel good, I got a lot of money, I'm really happy, this all worked to my good. That's not what he's saying. It's not my good that it's worked towards, it's the good. It's the ultimate good, it's God's aim, it's what he's purposed for and his plan towards that all works together for that good. When we're on that journey, because we're with God and we're after his purpose, it all lines up and it becomes good for us too. We're excited about that good. The best way I can think about this is my wife and I saw a movie a few, a few months ago called the, but the Butler. Anybody watch The Butler in the movie? Really, really amazing movie. And um, 
What I loved about the movie was the, it kind of put the difference between the, the, the father who was the butler in the White House and was trying to, trying to keep the status quo and the son who was working with the Freedom Riders and, and was doing some incredible difficult stuff. You watch scenes where they're in the diner and they're getting beat up and you watch them go through a firebombing in the bus. And I'm just sitting there watching this stuff going, wow, what, an, what a huge amount of suffering. Who would want to go through that? Who would want to suffer these things and feel these things and, and deal with these things? Except that when they come out the other side and the segregation has ended and the laws are passed, what you find is that they probably look back at those things and said, all that suffering, all that pain was worth it because look at the good that's occurred. Look at the good that's been worked out of this. Look at the good. And so while they would say, I never want to go through that again, look at the result. It was worth it. And that's what God's saying. You're not going to go through anything in this world where one day when you end up in heaven, you're going to be standing there, you're going to be talking to God, and he's going to go, well, that thing that happened to you, I didn't use that. That that was a waste. Yeah, I just plain wasted your time there. Sorry about that. Nothing. God will waste nothing. All the mess of your past will be used for the sake of the good that we all hope and aim for. And somehow, some way, I don't get it. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know if it's going to be like 3D video game style or we're all sitting in a theater. Or He's going to somehow reveal how your life fit together into his plan and everything in it came out to the good that he's aiming at. This beautiful perfection of reality that he's been pointing and going for since the beginning. And he's going to show you how if you pulled your thread out, the whole thing would fall apart. Because he's that well planned. He uses everything to the good. This is hugely, hugely comforting. Because a lot of us are struggling with the fact that we feel like our lives have been wasted up to this point, And perhaps we're feeling like we're wasting our times now. Don't think that I'm saying, hey, go waste your time watching Netflix all day long. God will use that too. Even though he would, that's not my point. <laughs> The point is we're on his purpose, that God's, that in our mistakes and our wasted times, he's going to use these things. And so what is this purpose then? What is this thing? I think that he lays it out in verses, in the next couple of verses. He goes here, check out verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Why? In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I believe that what God's purpose was is, is in this case, in this first verse, is part of that purpose was to shape and create us into a hero family. And and this is what's crazy. God's purpose is to shape us. Part of the purpose was to shape us into a hero family for the goal of giving Jesus the ultimate glory. And and where do I get that from? Look at this. What a hero family. Not a hero sandwich. It's kind of weird, but we're on a hero kick this morning, and here's why. We get to be involved in Jesus' family. Look again at that verse. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to do what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Why? That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So that you and I would be involved in Jesus' family. And Jesus' family is a special family. It's where we're like him. This idea is that he was planning to have Jesus have a whole bunch of brothers and sisters. So that Jesus would be the big brother. And then what's crazy about the ancient world and the big brother scenario is that a big brother was always somebody that you looked up to. He was someone that you, you wanted to aspire to be like. Because the big brother was the next patriarch. The oldest brother was the one who would take over for dad. Take over her grandpa eventually. And so the, the firstborn brother, the oldest brother, was the one who was to represent dad perfectly to the family. He would go between you and your dad so that he would represent you before your de- the patriarch, your dad. He would be the one that you looked up to and wanted to be like because he was like dad. And so he would challenge the family to conform and be like the dad. Does this sound familiar? 
That's what the Bible is saying when we're a family. We image and we're like Jesus. We live like him. We enjoy him. He's a, we, we, we aim to be like our big brother, Jesus. And so we get to be a part of Jesus' family. And it's a special family. Because it means that we're like him. See, you're in a family right now. You're in a particular family that dates way, way back to a, to a certain couple named Adam and Eve. You're in a part of Adam's family. Da-da-da-da. Not that one. As weird as the Adams family was, we have similar characteristics to our father, Adam, and our mother, Eve. And that is that when God says do something, we have a tendency to say, I think I'll do it my way. That's the family trait. It's called sin. It's when God says do this, and we go, I think I got a better idea. I'll do this. And we just do that. That's who we are. We kind of go, you know, I think I got this whole earth thing figured out. I've only been here a little while, but yeah, I'm pretty good at this. And we try to play God. Family trait. Jesus' family has none of that in it. Jesus' family has a whole other set of attributes, a whole other set of characteristics, a whole other set of things that we honestly aspire to. I, um, a couple weeks ago on vacation, was working through a book on, and got to deal with some of my, I was really searching down to get to my core kind of values for my, myself. Who am I? What are my core characteristics? And this, this book was really helpful. It starts kind of listing out some questions to work through that. One of, the, one of the best questions I ran into is this. Who was your hero when you were a child? And I'm like, wow, that's a great question. Who? And then kind of continue on who are your heroes now. But I started thinking about who was my hero when I was a child. Obviously, I'm supposed to write down Jesus because I'm the pastor and stuff. But I started really thinking about it. And what I ran into was, oh, my hero as a child was Thomas Edison. How nerdy can you get, Right. Seriously, he, for some reason, I had done a study on Thomas Edison in second grade and fell in love with the guy, Menlo Park, the Wizard of Menlo Park, and he, all the stuff he'd made and invented and created. And I was like, oh, I want to be like Thomas Edison. I want to be smart like him. I want to create things like him. I want to I influence the world like him, that, all this stuff. And what was interesting is that I went on to pick out like other heroes like Francis Schaeffer and C.S. Lewis. And I began to write out these, these attributes from the men that I had on this paper that, that kind of were the things that I wanted to be like like in them. And then I sat back and looked at that list and said, wow, that's a really good list. That really gets my heart pumped and gets me excited. And I asked this question, okay, Pastor Greg, how, if you, if you, is Jesus really your hero? And what I discovered is as I looked at every single one of those attributes, Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. That Jesus was creative. He's the one who formed a community around him. He created the greatest culture-changing force in the world called the church. He was the one who was, it was able to have a deep relationship with God. All these things I loved about these other men were found right there in Jesus. And I got excited because I realized what heroes were. Heroes are people we aspire to be like. Because they have attributes that we want to have in us. Be it a superhero or be it a, com- a comic hero, be it, be it somebody that's in your life as a sports hero. There's something about these heroes, our fathers or whoever they are. We aspire to have some attribute of them in us. And here's what I realized in this verse. If Jesus is the one, the sum total of the attributes that I long to have, he's my hero I don't just have to aspire to it. Guys, you and I are guaranteed we get to be like our heroes. When Jesus is your hero, notice what he said. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Our destiny is set that if we're Christians, our destiny is set. We get to be like our hero. 
We get to have the relationship with God like our hero has a relationship with God. We get to be change agents in the world as our hero was a change agent in the world. We get to stand for moral values as our hero stood for moral values. We get to know our inner self and our core as our hero knew his inner self and his core. We get to proclaim his truth as our hero proclaimed his truth. Jesus Christ, if he is our hero, is what we get to be like. That, ladies, does not mean you have to grow a beard. It means you actually get to be an awesome individual who represents God as Jesus did so. While we will not be God in the flesh, we will be like our hero. That's exciting to me. That's a destiny I can't wait to have. Because I'm tired of the mess. I'm tired of what looks like a waste. And yet he said, I'm going to use all that to make you into a person like your hero, Jesus. What blows my mind is he wanted this for us before we were even born. Look what he said. He wanted this for us before we were even born. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, all this theology is going off in your head right now. If you've been in the church long enough, you've just picked a side, and you're standing on one side, and somebody else standing on the other, and a bunch of people think they're in the middle. And it's this whole theology thing going on. Just put that aside for a second. Just look at the word. Foreknew. Proginosko. To have prior knowledge. And the word knowledge is bent not in a, not in a, not in a Greek way, but a Jewish way. And the Jewish term for know is a very intimate term. It meant the Adam knew Eve and begat Seth. That's a pretty intimate knowledge. And when he knows you before, it means he knows you. Hear me. He really, really knows you. When he says he knew Greg, he just knows some abstract Greg. He didn't know this abstract person named Greg somewhere out there that's going to do some things. He only knows the good side of me and is shocked by the bad side. No, 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 no. When he knew me, when he pre-knew me, he knew the good, the bad, and the ugly Greg all together. He knew every event, every thought, every sin, every action, every single heart condition from the day I was conceived all the way through eternity because he knew Greg Otherwise, God has the wrong guy, he knows. And I don't think he makes mistakes in his knowledge. When he knows something, he knows it perfectly. When he knows someone, he knows them perfectly. That means he knows you with all your mess, all your corruption, all your struggles, all your fears, all your theology, all your stuff bound up in you. And here's the crazy thing. He loved us. With all that, he intimately wanted to know you. Intimately. Yeah, we're messes. But he sits there and he hugs you and he says, but you're my mess. And I love you. And I'm going to use this mess. And I'm going to use it to make you like your hero. So that my son has many brothers and sisters who are like them. It's a hero family. So I, I, I sat back and I thought about this. I'm like, wow, then life is like a hero factory. And all the, all the Lego people are like, hero factory, I know that place. But the, the, it's a hero factory. God is literally using everything in our lives to make us into uh, these people, this man, Jesus, our hero. 
Imagine if you could keep that in your mind. Imagine if you could keep that solidly locked into your head. That when you're sitting in that board meeting and the whole war erupts over issues and everybody's yelling and screaming and things are going on, you could sit back, push back from the table and go, God is using this right now to make me like Jesus. To make me like my hero. When the baby is crying and the diapers are piling up and things are falling over and the house is a mess and, you know, it's Father's Day and he's going to come home and you don't have anything planned and you could push back and say, you know what? And God's using this right now to make me like my hero. It changes the way you approach things. It reverses our effect of, of freaking out and everything, even though he'll use the freak out too. Ultimately, he uses everything. It gives us the distance to say, God, I can't believe you love me so much that even in my mess, you'd use this mess to make me like I want to be. And it just reorients. It's not that it's not true. It's not that it's not you're really going through these things, but he just says, don't worry. You're not wasting your time. It's not getting wasted. It's not getting destroyed. I use everything in the life of a Christian to bring us to the state that you'll be like my son. That's exciting. That's hopeful. I don't have to think that my mistakes and my messes are going to ruin something for me because it seems to me that God's writing the beginning of the, of the beginning of the, of the salvation and he's writing the end of the salvation. In fact, this kind of goes on to that point that we should be secure when we're a Christian because God makes everything good, makes it all turn out to the good. Ultimately, it makes it all good. I just like that statement. It's all good. It's going to be all good. may not be right now, but it's going to be all good. And what he's doing is he's doing this in this way. For those whom he predestined, it says he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And we're thinking, wow, that's interesting stuff. I would love God to use my mess and turn it all into something great. So that there's this great good of God's glory and his son's glory and my glory all wrapped up in that. I'd love that. How do I do that? How do I know that this is me? That, how do I know that I'm part of this journey? How do I know I love God and I'm called to his purpose? The answer is you need to respond to the call. Look at what he said. Those whom he predestined, he also called. We become a Christian when we answer the call that God brings. What's the call? It's the gospel. Hear it again. Hear it clearly. That God loved you. And God loves you so much. You're sitting in this room today to hear this message. Don't think that you're sitting here for some random reason, but that God loves you enough that he wants you to hear that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die to take your sin, to take the mess, to clean it out. Not so you have to learn some new widget to fix your sins and clean them up. No, to literally remove the the, the scratched heart that's within us and put it aside and give you a full new life, a full new heart, a full new direction through Jesus Christ who bore it on the cross. To give those of us who are confused about truth, the prophet himself, Jesus Christ, who came to teach us every single truth that comes from the Father. And to give us a leader who is sure and character is perfect so we wouldn't fear that he'll corrupt us but that we could be everything like our leader and follow in his footsteps and we would be loving, compassionate, just, and righteous. That's what he gives us and he gives it all to us as a gift. You don't work and you don't earn it. You don't get any of that. He just says, come. Come. Take, bring me your sin. Bring me your mess. Bring me your rebellion. I'll take it. I'll put it on my son Jesus. He'll bear it for you and I will forgive you and I will enter into your life and we'll have this relationship. Come. And God right now calls you with that message. He calls all of us. And that it's our response to that message that ensures that God then will take that mess and he'll clean it up. Because notice what he says. He says, those whom he called, 
He also justified. You're like, well, that's, what's that mean? Justified means that God has made it right between you and him. You don't, make, you don't justify yourself. He justifies you. He takes your sin and cleans it up. And what I love about this is many of us could resist coming to God's call because we've sinned. We go, I don't want this. I've sinned. I can't do this. But yet he uses that sin to reveal how much he loves you. Hear me. If you had been perfect, if you had been good, then you could walk around thinking you deserve God to love you. But we all know deep down inside that God, that we have sinned, that we have struggled and we have made a mess of things. And what he does is he says, I love you anyway. I love you so much that I will love you with this mess. And I'll prove it to you by cleaning it up, by justifying you, by declaring you not guilty. Sure, God could have made us not have, any, have no sin. But he didn't. Because he wanted to show you that in spite of how messed up we are, he still loves you. And he's delivering this message so you can hear that he's willing to clean it up and he's willing to have a relationship with you. He's willing to do all the work. Just receive the call. Right now, receive that call that he's calling you. And he'll clean up the sin. And, and in that act, he shows you how much he loves you. And he gives you this guarantee that it will all end to the greatest purpose, to the glory. To, what's glory? It's when a football team wins in the last few seconds and everybody's jumping around. They're talking about the glory of the game. It is God's ultimate wow. His ultimate everything's good. And everybody sits back and goes, God, you're awesome. And we get, we get to be part of that. Notice what he says. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. That means we get invested in this, this picture, this ultimate end, this purpose that God has. What's this purpose? It's called resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. Give us a picture of this. In the eternity, when we are resurrected, here's what it is. All that psychological suffering that you give yourself, all the bad conversations you put in your heart, all the insecurities, gone, because you'll be psychologically resurrected. All the spiritual stuff that's in your life that's keeping you from God will be forgiven and dealt with, never to come back again. You'll be made right with God perfectly, intimately, never to be removed from him. You will have physical resurrection in which your body broken and old and messed up as it is with eyesight broken and ears not hearing and hearts not pumping and feet not working will be perfectly put right so that you will walk on this earth rightly. Socially and relationally, our interactions will be made perfect. All the sin that keeps us from each other and all the assumptions and the judgmental selfishness will be removed and suddenly we will have a unity together as humanity again and all the economic blight there will be no rich no poor for we will be one family with one shared family set of goods which is all God's and he gives us as we need and there will not be poverty and there will not be need and then lastly environmentally it will be perfect because the new heavens and the new earth will invest a brand new ecosystem which everything is made right and corruption of that ecosystem will never occur again. The answer to the human heart and the human struggle is found in Jesus Christ who will glorify us as a guarantee because he loved you and he called you. Hear his call. You're in earshot of it right now. And when you receive it, God wastes nothing in your life. Christians, he's wasted nothing in your life. It is all there for purpose, for a reason. Right now, take a pen, take your paper, and look at your paper and ask yourself this question. What is it that I think in my life God can't use? I want you to write that down. 
Because I guarantee you God can use it. Is it a divorce? Is it some kind of abuse? Is it something that you tell yourself in your own heart? Is it a depression? Is it a success? Is it the riches that you have and you don't know how to, how to reconcile that? What is it that you think God, God really can't use? And then ask him today and through this week, God, show me who needs to hear this for your glory. Show me who needs to hear this story because you use everything.